Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is a podcast <laughs> where uh, you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. Uh, I contribute to Slash Film. Uh, for the purposes of this particular podcast, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. You yeah. needn't, but you may. Uh, and here's how this podcast works. You send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Or you can send us a physical piece of mail in a mailbox. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Yeah, send us an actual physical piece of mail. We love it. Our uh, mailing address is the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And wouldn't you know, we got some letters this week. Yep. But before we dive in... I want uh, to give a couple of quick uh, quick updates. Uh, if anyone has been following my Twitter account, uh, you you might have heard uh, my laptop is in the shop again. And uh, and William, why is your laptop in the shop again? Because Dante, my cat, sat on it. <laughs> I don't know what he did. It was open. He sat on it. There was it was buttons is, uh, everywhere, and now the screen don't work. So uh, it's it's in the shop. Uh, it is fortunately uh, covered under warranty, thank goodness. Uh, but it, so it's going to be a few days before my laptop is back. Mm. I'm using an old one that doesn't work very well, and in order to record this podcast, and I'm not even a hundred percent sure it's working, we had to jury rig our microphone to Whitney's. Like, what? What is it? An Android? It's, it's a, a Samsung Galaxy Nine. Ooh. It's it's um, the current model is number twenty two. <laughs> As of this recording, that was the, the latest model of Samsung phone. This is model 22. I'm on a number nine. Do you want a new phone for Christmas? Uh, I've been looking at a new phone. You should get a new phone. Looking at a new phone. <laughs> that uh, thing's probably not designed to last much longer. Uh, but um, in any case, we're, it's, we're, we're, it's, it's holding up. It's slowing down, but it's yeah. holding up. Anyway, so if this podcast sounds a little different, that would be why. Uh, and if I don't do have it. my full array of sound effects, it's because I'm using an old laptop. Uh, and I'm hoping it works. The, the speakers on my laptop are crap, so I'm not even 100% oh. sure if I listen to this, it's going to sound fine. Yeah, no, we're, we're not also, a great situation. This to be isn't in. one of those things where you can mix the levels. We're just kind of a we're, th- throw, throwing the bones and leaving it to leaving it to God, hoping uh, it for the best. We, we it's been too long since we've been able to put out an episode. We wanted to try to record something, so here we are. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. Uh, let's uh, let's let's listen to some yeah, let's listen to some emails. Let's listen to some emails. Then let's well, actually read a physical letter we, before we, we get to the emails. Yeah, we actually got. I crinkled them close to the mic. Yeah. So you can hear that we actually got physical letters. But yeah, here's one. We actually got two. And this one is a Christmas card. Oh, that's nice. It's a, a picture of the Grinch as he appeared uh-huh. in uh, the original 1957 uh, Dr. Seuss book. And it says, Merry Grinchmas. Oh, that's nice. And on the inside of the card, it says, uh, Hope each Christmas moment is filled with all that brings you joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then written in hand, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Thanks for all you do. Greetings from North Carolina. Oh, that's very, yeah. very nice, that From is. Code, signed Cody. And uh, there's you. also a letter inside the card. Oh, that's... Oh, Ooh, oh written in longhand, even. Good use of space. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's always oh, frustrating okay. when you go to pick up, like, a like a card for someone, and uh-huh. they're just full of text. Like, here's an eight, here's a 20-stanza poem you didn't write. And I'm like, I'm looking for something that says, Happy Birthday, and mm. gives me some space to write a personal note. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want, Hallmark. My uh, my mom recently sent me a, a card that her sister had given her. 
for her birthday. And she she very cleverly taped a piece of paper over where my aunt's signature had been no. and added her own and mailed it to me. And you saw through that cunning ruse? I know. It's like, uh, how? I, I don't know how I was able to get the clues, but I was able to figure <laughs> that out. Uh, so for her next birthday, I picked out a card that said Aunt. Uh, and uh, with a big, thick, black Sharpie crossed off Ant and wrote Mom in every instance where nice. it said Ant. Yeah, she appreciated that. Good. Uh, <laughs> my mom is quite a snarky person. Uh, anyway, this letter says, Dear Bibbs and Whitney pronounced my Rockmeister McCool. Nice. Uh, I have written to you a few different times in the past on topics from Is Fozzie Funny? Uh, to not knowing what I'm doing with my life, and I still don't. Uh, You know what? Nobody does. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, Doing my best. That's all I can do. uh, But today I would like to talk about Disney's latest corporate propaganda fluff piece documentary on Disney+, Plus: Mickey colon The Story of a Mouse. Disney loves to make shit about themselves. Well, yeah. Uh, they, They put out records with names like, I love Disney. You are Disney. Going in, I expected it would be incredibly self-serving to the Disney company, and it is in parts, but it does something else that baffles me. The way the film tries to tackle its subjects makes it a confusing, frustrating mess that attempts to do too much without giving any element uh, any element the attention it needs, leaving nothing fully explored. The issue begins for me in the part where it covers the origin of Mickey Mouse's creation. Hmm. Two versions of the story are represented here. The more commonly known account told by Walt Disney and that of animator and uh, close collaborator Ub Iwerks. Mm, for those, that's good. At least they get out yeah. of there. For those unaware, Disney claimed he came up with the character on a train after losing the character of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit to Universal and his wife Lillian thinking of the name Mickey. Iwerks said that Walt Disney approached him with the idea of a new animated character after the incident with Oswald and Universal, and the two workshopped different animals before settling on a mouse, who would then go on to become Mickey Mouse. In the story of a mouse, these disputing claims are both cited, but the confusion comes in how the film tries to make them seem not to pick a side. Mm. One person interviewed here even says something along the lines of, Does it really matter if Mickey was created on a train or an animator's desk? Well, uh, to Ub Iwerks, yeah, yeah. it sure as hell does. If it was a person, the same person on the train and at the animated desk, then maybe not. No, then it, then it's yeah. just a, a then it's just mm. trivia. If uh, we're talking about who deserves credit for creating Mickey Mouse, it matters a lot. Actually, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm quite bothered by this stance. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, how Mickey Mouse was created matters a great deal. One version of the tale gives Walt Disney full credit for the creation of Mickey Mouse, and the other shares the credit between Disney and Ub Iwerks. If the documentary. Is is called the story of a mouse then the origin of said mouse next page here mm-hmm. uh should be the main purpose of the film it is puzzling mm-hmm. to me that there is no clear statement from the disney company here as to mickey's creation i assume there are legal reasons where they do not want to acknowledge without outright stating or admitting of iWorks was involved and co-created mickey mouse because iWorks estate is entitled to royalties meaning the disney company would have to admit to wrongdoing and lose money it's probably that mm-hmm. uh, maybe in a way uh, allegedly mm-hmm. uh, I, I make I'm making no uh, no statements of libel uh, maybe in a way that is in uh, it maybe in a way this is in the company's statement knowing what really happened and choosing not to confirm it out of corporate greed this method of acknowledging without truly making stances causes the whole documentary to feel hollow and performative by Disney it reminds me of Warner Brothers and DC Comics knowing Bill Finger's involvement in creating Batman but not giving him credit out of laziness and greed for more info see Batman and Bill on Hulu okay um 
uh, Bob Kane mm. uh, is the credited, for, or at least for many years, was mm. the sole credited creator of Batman. Yeah, and, and, uh, and the story was Bob Kane created Batman, but uh, Bill Finger helped a little. Well, the I think, and I could be getting this part wrong, but uh, Bob Kane created a character named Batman... But, uh, like, he came up with a name and that mm-hmm. he should be a superhero. And then it was Bill Finger who, like, designed the outfit, thought he mm. should have a bat cave, he should f- drive it about. Like, all the details I, we know. I don't, I don't think anyone's uh, claiming that Bob Kane did nothing. I think mm. a lot of people argue that Bill Finger did the lion's share of what made the character popular. Yeah. 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 So, and Bill Finger uh, was not given any credit, was granted no royalties, and mm. died penniless. So uh, This is not yeah. uncommon in our corporate and, system. There's and a, it wasn't... There, uh, they didn't start giving him credit until long after his death, yeah. like on movies and stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's a great speech in the season one of The Wire, where uh, a couple of guys are just they're eating chicken nuggets and they're talking about man, I bet the guy who invented chicken nuggets is a millionaire right now. Mm. And the guy's like, the guy who invented chicken nuggets, if he's still alive, is probably still making minimum wage. <laughs> he was working for McDonald's. Yeah. He came up with the perfect nugget system. He nuggeted a chicken perfectly, and di- and they took that. They made billions. And they probably said thank you and gave him a gold watch when he retired. Mm. And that's it. That's it. That's what they do. Mm. The the letter does go on. Uh, This issue of acknowledging without exploring spreads to other parts of the film. It brings up points such as Mickey and many early shorts being inspired by minstrel stereotypes. Uh Uh-huh. I'm glad they just addressed Uh, that. And And, uh, Disney being overprotective of their copyrights over Missy, uh, Mickey, Missy, (laughs) Mickey, as you both have discussed previously on podcasts, in order to make Disney as a company appear self-reflective, critical, and politically correct. By never exploring these ideas with significant analysis of a clear statement, their attempts to paint themselves as a progressive, morally just company fall flat. The critiques are mentioned simply to show they exist, rather than to make any statement about them or do anything about them, where the points might as well not have been made at all. What a mess. Anyway, that's all I have for you today. Have you seen or plan to see this documentary? Hope you both are well, and thank you for all the lovely podcasts you produce every week. I also hope you and yours have a wonderful holiday season. Sincerely yours, Cody. Cody, first off, thank you so much for the lovely card. Yeah. That's the only Christmas card I've gotten so far this year. Oh, uh, well, it you, is. Here you go. I'll hand it, it to you. Well, thank you there so you much. Uh, you know, the card you receive in the mail is a bit of a dying form, I feel. We used to get a ton of them when I was a kid. Now oh, you're lucky yeah. if you get two or three. D- were, yeah. uh, were you ever required to write thank you notes? Yes. Yeah, when I was a kid, I did. I, I was told they had to be out before uh, January 1st at the latest. Yeah, just If like, they weren't in the mail by January 1st, you were in trouble. And yeah, uh, You're going to hell, basically. Uh, Not literally. I think yeah. the last year I was forced to write thank you notes and just sort of went cold mm. turkey after that was like age 11 or so. Mm. And uh, I, I received, you know, a decent number of gifts from family that were from faraway places. So I had to mail out a lot of, mm-hmm. of uh, cards saying, thank you for the, you know, the Nintendo Did game the or whatever they got me. And, uh, I, uh, they, they petered out. Yeah. Didn't now they? that I'm 44, I don't mm-hmm. get so many gifts. Anymore. No, I mean, like which when, is, you start, when you stop sending fine? out thank yous, <laughs> no. that was always the thing. Like uh, they don't send any thank yous. They'll stop sending you presents. Well, and, and I sent thank yous, but I, I kind of had to, like, form letter it, because, like, oh, mm. yeah, thank you for the gift, thank you for well, the gift. Well, they're probably not cross-checking so, their their, uh, their Christmas cards. Well, I started, like, changing up my greeting, like, hello, greetings, salutations, yo, how goes it? Like, just, <laughs> it's the only thing I could do to keep my mind active. I hear you. Luca, get off the screen door, buddy.
<laughs> Spider Cat. Anyway, anyway uh, uh, but regarding the uh, uh, the documentary, no, I haven't watched it yet. Uh, I am familiar, not an expert, but I'm familiar uh, with uh, some of the controversies surrounding the creation of Mickey Mouse. In particular, Ubiwerks basically got screwed, and even though he was a brilliant animator, uh, he's not a household name the way Walt Disney is, is he? He is well known to animation people. Oh, to animation, animation people, fans. they would know him, but there's a lot of people who. Look, Walt Disney is literally a household name. Like you it's will the struck, of, It's the name of the company. Like you'll yeah. struggle to find a household that doesn't have his name stamped on something in it somewhere. Yeah. Whether even if it's just Disney Plus or a DVD or something. So, Bioworks did not get the best deal here, and it's and as we've already mentioned, it's and as you mentioned, it's one of umpteen uh, uh, examples. Mm. Of people getting screwed out of their creation, of which Albuquerque was undeniably a part. He certainly refined it and was a key animator on many of those early Disney shorts. Yeah. So, if you want the true, unexpurgated warts and all story of what happened with an artist or a famous figure or anything like that, uh, don't go through their publicist. Because that's what Disney does. Disney yeah. is in the business of mythologizing um, itself. That's how yeah, it. What? That's how it keeps people going generation to generation. Is by declaring that Disney is not just a company that sometimes makes really good stuff. I'm not pretending that they don't make good stuff, but they 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 need you to keep buying it. And in order to yeah. keep buying it, they need to make it seem like it's special. The uh, the, the thing that really soured me on Disney sort of as a company, even when I was a kid, it's mm. like, first of all, I didn't watch a lot of the movies. There's still a lot of like... Yeah, you animated... weirdly managed to avoid growing up with those the way a lot of people yeah, do. Like, yeah, like there were a couple that I did watch incessantly, like a Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella mm. or in Heavy Road, because uh, I had an older sister and a younger stepsister, so yeah. there were... there was uh, mm. the, the princess films were on heavy rotation. Those so are marketed Cinderella, heavily to their demographics. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, I, I saw a lot. But yeah, I... I, I Still don't think I've ever seen Pinocchio, or at least I haven't seen it since I was little. Oh, I've never seen Dumbo. I never saw yeah. like Lady and the Tramp. A lot of the uh, only saw 101 Dalmatians for the first time like last year. Yeah, um, and it was because I was sort of like a little bit of an outsider on those. I noticed more sharply how they were marketing them. Yeah, it's like here here's the movie that you saw a bunch of times as a young child and loved. Yeah, don't you love love and. <laughs> You should buy What's this. What's the matter? Because, you don't you like childhood and yeah, fun? If, if you love childhood and fun, you should buy this. It's like, fuck you. What if I haven't seen that movie? You're, you're, try, you're not trying to sell me a movie. You're trying to, you're trying you're to, trying to get you, me you. to associate mm -hmm. your company with all of my childhood warmth, and I resent you for that. Disney is a brilliant marketing machine. Mm. They know how to market themselves. We've talked about this before, but um, and it's kind of moribund now that we have Disney+, Plus. but the Disney vault was a really insidious <laughs> idea. <laughs> it was a way to engineer scarcity into a system that theoretically should have none. Mm. When home video started becoming something that people could own, you could buy a copy mm. of a movie and own it forever. Well, Disney can't keep selling you that if you own it forever. Mm -hmm. So what they would do is, instead of releasing all of their stuff, they released it piecemeal. 
Yeah, one, one film at a time. One film at a time. So, like, okay, so Pinocchio is coming out of the Disney vault. It wasn't available on home video. Now it is available on home video. It will be available for a limited time. I actually don't remember exactly how limited that was, but, like, was, I don't know if it was, like, six months, a year, or something like it, that. It was a month or two. It was a pretty short window. It was short window. Is that yeah. short? Okay. Well, in any case... There's a short window where it is readily available. You can pick it up at a supermarket or a video store or Circuit City, wherever you go. And after we put it back in the vault, you might be able to track down a used copy, but that requires yeah. work. They, and they, they're not going to get replaced. They they're going to get wound print. down. Yeah, they're they're going to start getting more expensive on the used market. And yeah, that's that's yeah, how was, they get you. It was, all, it was also with Disney. I first noticed the very uh, loose usage of the word masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It's like here's the Disney masterpiece. Here's the Disney masterpiece collection. What's the definition of a Disney masterpiece? Mm-hmm. A film Disney released. Yeah, like that. That was it. To, uh, so to be fair, they also had the really great program, Masterpiece Theater, which is one of their first programs on the on the Disney Channel, which had a really old guy in a leather rocking chair or something like that in front of like a fireplace. <laughs> Cozy and it was like, Alistair Cook. Basically, yeah. yeah, it was basically Masterpiece Theater, but they would introduce an old Disney cartoon. Okay. That was a great show, actually. That had a nice vibe. Okay. It was very cozy. Uh, yeah, my uh, I, uh, yeah. I have a late uncle who was a, very, a big, big Disney head. He collected the old, like, Scrooge McDuck comic books. Oh, yeah. Knew the artists and stuff. Like, he was a super, super uh, deep-cut yeah. nerd about that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, so I was exposed... Like, whenever I went to my uncle's house, I was exposed to some of that. So I saw, like, Donald Duck shorts where he mm. fights a bee, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, uh... uh but, yeah, Disney is so self-congratulatory that I have no intention of watching those documentaries where they get to sort of extol their own virtues because they're never fully fair. Even if they acknowledge that yeah. somebody else has a claim to, to Mickey mouse, they're going to do what, what yeah. you said they did. They're going to say, well, you know, here's the, here's two different stories. Who knows what's true? Actually, somebody yeah. knows what's true. Yeah. And you're not saying what's true because you don't want to seem like the bad guy in the story. Mm-hmm. Or you don't want to, or, or, or you did report it accurately. And someone said, why don't we uh, back off on that a smidge? Yeah, some producer like, came in. Because again, they're they're in the business of protecting their brand. Yeah, yeah. And so when they release a documentary or something about the history, there might be interesting stuff in it. There's a ton of interesting stuff with Disney. If you want to see some really good documentaries about the history of Disney, I highly recommend checking out a YouTube channel called Defunct Land. Yeah, Defunct Land is pretty popular. It's, but... it's popular, but it's popular because it's genuinely good. Uh, and they don't exclusively do Disney, but they've done a lot of Disney. And their whole thing was originally, they'll talk about defunct theme park attractions, mm. uh, many of which were at Disneyland, for example. And they will give you a really elaborate history of, of it. It's really interesting. One of the first ones they did was uh, a ride I remember going on as a child, which is called mm. Adventures Through Inner Space. Oh, yeah, yeah, they they're one of those, yeah. One of those, uh, you sit in a slow-moving chair and you just sort of go past dioramas, but... Uh, uh, the the shtick was you are getting shrunk down, so the dioramas mm. you go past are like you're here's like cells and bits yeah. of the body. You're inside a human body, yeah. and the big finale was you go th- uh, through a, a microscope slide and you look up this gigantic tube, and far far away from you is a gigantic eye looking down at you, uh, really creepy. Yeah, um, that's what I remember. They did. And I think the, that was the first episode of Defunct. Land. Yeah, but uh, and the thing is, they clearly like Disney because they care enough to do all this stuff, but. 
they'll tell you all this stuff and they'll they're willing to be critical and they'll talk about how yeah Walt's idea for uh you know Disney World in in Florida wasn't so much an amusement park so much as it is this like weirdly authoritarian dream utopia he had <laughs> where everyone would live under his thumb but it kind of got kind of shuttled away when he realized they'd have like rights and shit like it's really weird um but it's really interesting there's a lot of really wonderful uh, uh esoterica he just released like a feature length one uh that was about trying to track down the mysterious composer of the disney channel theme music that debuted in the early 2000s okay and it was something and it was just a few notes bum 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 <laughs> that's it and the thing is who, who composed that that's that song played constantly on the disney channel people associated with disney who are of this generation the younger generation it's you it's people know it nobody knows who wrote it and oh, it was yeah. all about trying to track down who wrote it and it actually gets really kind of thoughtful and interesting about this sort of ephemeral nature of uh advertising art mm. and how there's all these artisans who work on stuff like that and these sort of like these like ad breaks or these weird liminal spaces where ah. you're just sort of encouraged <laughs> to be there at the mm. Disney Channel waiting for the next thing to happen mm. and it talks about the history of the ad break and why station identification was invented in the first place it's really interesting so if you want to see uh, uh, some Disney stuff that is Still focused on Disney, but less fawning. I highly recommend checking out Defunct Land if you haven't already. All right. Yeah. Anyway, right. we should move on to the next yeah, letter. We have another physical yeah, letter another physical in our PO box. I'm going to pull this out of the envelope. Ooh. Once again, crinkling. Make sure everybody very nice. hears this one. Hmm. Okay. Oh, this comes with a picture uh, that's Ooh. printed out. Uh, it says, in honor of Bib's love for cats. And it's a, a cat meme. Oh, it's a, <laughs> it's a, a scared-looking black cat that says, I beg you. Adorable. Hi. Um, do, do, do the kids know about I I can has cheeseburger? I don't know if they know how ubiquitous it was, but I bet they've probably heard that around. Maybe so. They probably know. Like they probably heard like your parents say something like, "Oh, Dad, shut up. You're old." <laughs> yes, you can uh, has cheeseburger, Dad. There's a, a picture of a, a photograph of an owl uh, that was circulating around with uh, the letters O R L Y question mark. Uh, but underneath, Orly. Yeah. Uh, I think it's supposed to be pronounced, oh, really? And, uh, I think so, and, yeah. the, and the nature photographer who photographed the owl was pissed off yeah. that his picture was being distributed around uh-huh. and was really, really well known and he never got credit. Like never his, got a dime. His credit probably. wasn't yeah. on it. He yeah, doesn't, doesn't get any money for that kind of thing. It sucks. So, like, memification is it's like fame well, without being famous and that's at the Funkland thing again where like it's some it's a work of art someone mm. took that picture people know it nobody knows who did it yeah and yeah. it's trying to track down who did that why mm. what the story is is actually really interesting so mm. anyway check out that documentary it's really okay. good uh the letter says um and this comes from Andrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that I have your attention, please review the film Barbarian on your podcast. Oh, we, we did that. <laughs> I think we, briefly, we, we, yeah. we'll talk about it again. Uh, just to be, to be I'm dying that. to know what your thoughts on this film. Yes, I sent this mail to you for the sole purpose of getting your attention on this important subject. <laughs> uh, also, I loved your recent Iron List episode of the best horror anthology movies ever. Thank you. Uh, on your list, you mentioned the original 1972 British Tales from the Crypt film, and you briefly talked about the HBO series. My question to you both is, what are your top three Tales from the Crypt episodes Ooh. that immediately come to mind? For me, it is Cutting Cards from Season 2, directed by Walter Hill with Lance Hendrickson and Kevin Teague, about two competitive gamblers who absolutely despise each other. Oh, 
what I vaguely cut, remember cutting cards. Uh, I'll just say that a meat cleaver gets thrown into the middle of the pot at one point. Nice. Um, this episode sums up the dark humor, horror, and suspense of the series. I also loved television terror with Morton Downey Jr. and What's Cooking with Christopher Reeve, Judd Nelson, and Meatloaf. Nice. Meatloaf plays a meatloaf in that one. No. Really? It's cannibalism. Episode, That's adorable. Yeah. I love the podcast, Andrew. And uh, then written in hand, it says, P.S. The reason the envelope is from my workplace... The- uh, return address was from a high school. Yeah. Uh, it's from my workplace. A high school teacher is because I don't have a colored printer at home. Oh, um, he, had the, he had to print, print out the print cat out photo. The, the cat photo in okay. color from school. I'm glad you got to um, uh, use your workplace's resources to, to mm. print something out. You know, take advantage of that stuff. Um, but uh, to, to, we, we've mentioned this. Someone else brought this up before, but we'll, mm. we'll get into it briefly. We did not review the very successful horror film Barbarian when it came out because shit happened. We weren't able to go see we it. We just didn't see it that way. It, was, it yeah. was bad luck. We really wanted to go and we couldn't go see it. And then uh, time went on. We had to do other things. It was difficult to find time to go back. Uh, since then, I have seen Barbarian and you have too. I have too. Um, and um, here's the thing with Barbarian. It's still so new that I don't want to go into super specifics, which is frustrating because some of my issues involve the specifics. Yeah. But uh, it's Barbarian is a horror movie uh, about a woman who uh, goes to an Airbnb. She's renting someone else's house uh, for a short period of time. And she gets there, and it turns out it's been double booked. Someone is there already. Yeah. And it's played by Alexander Skarsgård, who, so, who played... Not the, Alexander Skarsgård, Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård, excuse oh, me. Who yeah. played the, the one who played the clown in the It yeah. movies. So you're already suspicious. Uh, and she's very nervous about him. Maybe he's a creeper. And then, eventually, she goes down into the basement and mm. discovers some scary shit. And the movie is built around a series of unexpected revelations or juxtapositions where Mm -hmm. what could have been a pretty, you know, scary, but straightforward sequence of events is made more surprising by the way that the information is spread out over time. Uh, And I think a lot of people really responded to the way that this film had some very well set up scares, uh, but played out in a somewhat unexpected way. Not not like a, a... I don't know. Like it's it's this is too huge an example, but you know, Psycho freaked people out because you got to know a protagonist and it switched. Yeah. Barbarian does that like three or four times, basically. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, yeah, it, it has some uh, perhaps surprising, perhaps not, but some uh, rather clever twists in the narrative. Mm-hmm. I think that's really great. Um, and uh, ultimately, it's uh, very much about uh, the exploitation of women. Yeah. That's that's where it comes from. Um, Justin Long is also in the film. You know that because his name is advertised on the poster. And uh, he, he comes into the movie at a point and he, he plays this really kind of horribly miserable character like he's just really cruel and self-serving and he's trying to get himself out of uh out of a uh, i'll just say yeah hot water that he's put himself in uh one of the most relatable moments is uh when one of the characters uh discovers something in the basement and immediately calls uh, like or starts looking up whether or not that adds value to the house or not yeah. like it's not this not this is a creepy like, thing oh there's discovered. an oh there's an ex- there's extra space down here yeah. oh boy does that add value does it count as square footage that's pretty cool yeah. um and yeah there's like some flashbacks as well uh, it's i i like the construction of it uh it's you know nice Mm-hmm. T- twisty little tiny thriller kind of a movie. I think it maybe got a little too much acclaim. I've seen a lot of movies mm-hmm. like it. Yeah, it didn't blow uh, my mind. I, I, I appreciate why people dig it. Uh, for me, the thing that hurts the movie 
you mentioned that it's about the exploitation of women, and mm -hmm. it is. Uh, I, I think it's also a very particular part of that is about the way that uh, people don't believe women. Yeah. When they express concern or anxieties or point out red flags. Mm -hmm. So, for example, and this is early on, it's not really a thing. When uh, the protagonist of the film notices something creepy in the basement, and she's like, I want to get the fuck out of here, we're done. Bill Skarsgård is like, well, let me go I, didn't, check. I yeah. didn't see it, so let me see it for myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes everything a million times worse, is because he didn't just fucking believe her. Yeah. And that's sim a similar variety of that situation plays out multiple times over the course of the film. And that is a very reasonable thing to build a scary movie around, because that sadly is true, and we yeah, see it no, little, play out over and over again. Yeah. But there's also a huge element of the movie in which... The uh, uh, I'm trying to think how to phrase this without giving too much away, but so that people who've seen it know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. There's also an element of the movie in which femininity or or, or women are treated as scary. Mm. And ultimately, I think even though there's a sympathetic element, I think the movie I think the movie banks on the idea of certain aspects of womanhood being terrifying is mm. going to carry a lot of the scare scenes and I think that unfortunately undermines its overarching theme and I, I think, think as a result uh, it doesn't feel very well developed to me there's some I, I good think, stuff in it but I don't see, think it's very well developed I think I see what you're getting at and you might uh, acknowledge that it's the Justin Long character mm -hmm. who is the most terrified whereas yeah the female character isn't true, so, uh, but that doesn't that doesn't change the the threat level. I suppose you know, so. like for the audience, yeah. what we're supposed to find scary, and so I okay. think that I think it's telling what they think the audience will find scary, mm. and I don't think that really fits the theme of the film. Okay, yeah. Well, so, uh, as to the Tales from the Crypt question, yes, uh, I love Tales from the Crypt. A great show. Uh, it's I, I don't think we've had since something that has that aggressively gross a sense of humor uh, mm -hmm. that is just that takes so much glee in pain and gore that actually mm -hmm. is that gory and yet it can still be called a comedy and uh, and not only that but broken to the mainstream for doing it yeah, yeah. That was, the, the, the Tales from the Crypt was, the, was a, it was an anthology horror series if you don't know what we're talking about it was an anthology horror series on HBO back before they had their like really premiere pr programming pri prior to Oz and the Sopranos prior to Oz yeah. and the Sopranos they had you know the occasional sitcom the occasional uh, show but Tales from the Crypt was kind of their signature show for a while it had pretty cool people behind it like Robert Zemeckis and Walter Hill mm. uh, it had a ton of of guest stars, a lot of actors would make uh, like like directorial debuts. Tom Hanks, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, every episode was basically we're going to do a really grim, kind of sadistic, little horror movie joke, yeah. basically, and we're going to get some of the biggest names in movies and television in almost every episode, mm. and. It's a cavalcade. It's like a who's who <laughs> yeah, every, of who was big at the time and who was about to, to be big. Well, yeah, like you yeah. can find episodes of like Daniel Craig before he was big, or mm -hmm. Ewan McGregor before he really hit, hit huge. Exactly. Um, and then, then of course, there's a lot of horror luminaries. There's an episode where Tim Curry plays three roles, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, alternately has sex with and then murders Ed Begley Jr. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a fun episode. <laughs> uh, 
and because it was on HBO, their their uh, their idea, like their ethos at the time, and still to this day, is we're HBO. This is not regular television. We can get away with all of the cussing and violence and nudity. Oh yeah, that you couldn't get away with on any other network. And some of these are disgusting. Oh, absolutely, just genuinely yes. gross. Oh. <laughs> the, 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 and that was kind of the point. They were really trying to push things really far. So uh, someone would die really horribly in a bloody, bloody way on every episode of uh, Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. There would always be a. a well, not always, but in most episodes, uh, somebody's going to get their kid off. You have to see a lot mm-hmm. of, a lot b- of nudity. B- butts and bare breasts. A lot breasts of nudity, and, yeah. uh, and somehow that was what just sort of caught the consciousness. That's what everybody liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dug it. Uh, they eventually started rerunning it on network TV, of course, highly redacted. Uh, and yeah, still pretty harsh this, for the time. Still, still harsh for the time. And yeah. uh, to this day, because uh, like certain companies own the rights to the name, others to the character, others to the actual show, it's difficult to put it on streaming. So unless you bought mm. sort of, if, unless you bought those uh, DVDs that they put out, which are still uh, readily available, you can still get, get them on, on the secondhand market. Yeah, but, very, yeah, very, print very anymore. affordable. They made a lot of them. Uh, but yeah, I have the whole set. Uh, as for my favorite episodes, it's difficult to say. Yellow. Oh, I mean, Yellow is the best one, and yeah. uh, Yellow is actually wasn't meant to be a Tales from the Crypt. Episode. No, it's supposed to be a uh, pilot episode yeah, for uh, a spinoff of Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, the, the Tales from the Crypt was based on uh, EC Comics from the 1950s by William Gaines, and every one of the stories was actually taken from one of those old comics, not just Tales from the Crypt, but things like Shock Suspense stories and Tales from the Vault, and. Uh, one of those comics was called Two Fisted Tales, mm-hmm. and that was all war stories, usually really gory war stories. Yeah. Uh, I love those old war stories because they treat because war is hell yeah. in those comics. And uh, they decided to do a spinoff called Two Fisted Tales. They made, I think, four war-themed episodes, but then they decided not to make the show and just incorporated them into mm-hmm. Tales from the Crypt instead. And one of them was Yellow. And Yellow is just a masterful little short film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars... Uh, Kirk Douglas. It stars Kirk Douglas. It was directed by Robert Zemeckis. And his uh, son is played by Eric Douglas. And uh, and Lance Hendrickson is in it as well. And it's about uh, Kirk Douglas plays a general in World War One whose son is under a lot of pressure to meet up his old man's mm-hmm. uh, uh, great uh, reputation as a brave soldier. Uh, so it is incredibly humiliating when he is labeled a coward. Mm-hmm. And without saying what happens, really wonderful bit of acting and a really beautiful piece of tragedy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a great... It's it, There's not even anything supernatural about it. It's just a really great... Terrible yet wonderfully told uh-huh. short story about World War One. Mm. Like it's great, and it totally yeah, fits. It's, 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 <laughs> it's mean enough that it fits in Tales from the Crypt. Mm. But yeah, it's nowhere near as 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 prurient as as you're used to. Yeah. So it's just kind of a very respectable World War One short. Yeah, but it's great. It, yeah, it's it's it, a far cry from the one with the mm. sorority of cannibals, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, some of my favorite episodes, I love Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone, mm. which is the one with Billy Zane. Uh, okay, let me be more specific. Uh, <laughs> he was that no, gobble. No, I think he was only in the one, but he plays... Well, he was uh, in the movie as well. That's right, he was in the movie. Yeah. Um, oh, no, it, was, it wasn't Billy Zane, it was Joey Pants. Oh, it was okay. Joe Pente- it was uh, Joe Pantaleano, and uh, he... Mm. He played a a man who visited a mad scientist who had developed a way to uh, remove the nine lives from a cat and put them in him, and he used that power to stage like really elaborate 
like death acts on stage. Yeah. Like I, I'm going to yeah. get on it, have, cut my head off on stage and I'll get up because he has nine lives like a cat. And of course, uh, well, then there's a big twist. How many lives did that cat have? Mm. Uh, uh, there was the, one of the first episodes, oh, I forgot the name of it. It was Which the one, one with William Sadler who played like the freelance executioner. Mm. He, he was an executioner in a prison and too many uh, prisoners he felt were getting off. So the man who was death. It was the first episode. Oh yeah. The man who was death. That, that's very the first one. episode. Tales um, on the Crypt. I, I really, really like that one. Uh, yeah. Just cause, cause William Sadler is amazing. There's a really fucked up one. I don't know if I'd recommend this to anyone. It may be the darkest episode of Tales on the Crypt, but I saw it at way too young in age and it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> uh, it was uh, called four sided triangle and it started Patricia. Arquette. And it's oh, super yeah. dark. That's with with the scarecrow, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so there's this yeah. woman, she's like, she's a runaway, and she runs into uh, this really isolated farm with an old man and an old woman. And instead of taking care of her, they basically turn her into It's like their, Dogville. It's yeah. like Dogville. Like it, it becomes really fucked up. And she becomes so detached from reality that she falls in love with the scarecrow in their cornfield. Mm. And where it goes from there is dark. <laughs> it's really dark. It's not even a lot of them are like okay that's fun that's mm. that's twisted and gross but we all had a good laugh that one's just dark mm. that one's just unpleasant but my <laughs> god it was scary uh the john lovitz one is a great one uh the yeah, Hamlet the one. Hamlet episode, yeah yeah that's a great one um trying a rival actor who i think is like neil mcdonough some very handsome actor mm. and uh let me see if i can find that out they're both trying out for the same part and they become very uh, violent over it yeah and uh, the director is played by john astin i remember that uh, Bruce Boxleitner yeah. was it Bruce Boxleitner? Bruce okay, Boxleitner yeah. and John Aston played the uh, yeah. played the director. Oh, uh, Louise but, Fletcher was in that episode too. That's a really great cast. Yeah, uh, the weirdest episode was the one with uh, Don Rickles and Bob Goldthwait. I don't remember that one. Uh, Don Rickles played a ventriloquist. Yeah. Uh, and Bob Goldthwait was like not as good a ventriloquist, mm-hmm. and he needed to know what, sort of what the secret was, and. Uh, it turns out Don Rickles was he was like a drug addict and he had other secrets and he always kept his hand wrapped the one he put up inside his puppet and uh, there was a twist when he unwrapped his hand and there was like his brother was like growing out of his wrist ah. and it gets even weirder after that ah yeah. how <laughs> wow so yeah uh, th- that that one's pretty kooky yeah um, a lot of really great shit in the Tales of the Crypt. Yeah, if you yeah. haven't seen it, if you've never actually watched it, you can probably pick out an episode at random and probably get the probably gist. Be okay. It's there a remarkably consistent there. show. Uh, yeah, there, none of them are, sorry, very few of them, exception of maybe Yellow and a few others, are what I would call substantial. Hmm. Like they're really about something other than, you well, know, if you're all, greedy, shit will, bad shit will happen. I was about to say, to they're, they're all morality tales. If yeah. you're lustful or greedy, usually yeah. it's lust and greed, yeah. uh, you'll meet some sort of supernatural punishment. Right, but my point is that that's such a trite kind of message that they come across as insubstantial yeah other than well don't be a dick and then bad things won't happen to you probably (laughs) (laughs) unless you're unless you're in the proximity of someone who is a dick in which case bad things will happen to you probably yeah it's a wonderful show great show if you can track it down uh get those dvds really just buy them yeah just buy them them. they're not expensive Uh, they're 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 probably not going to be too pricey uh yes start with season one there's yeah, there's a whole box. There's not, there's not like a. Though. It's not one of those shows that like picked oh. up later on. It was pretty strong all the way. through. I'm actually curious. I mean, while we're on the air right now, I'm going to just mm. see what how much they run for on Amazon. Oh. <laughs> just <laughs> as a, them, in, in America, get them on the, the Amazon.com. Crypt DVD set. 
They are on the second-hand market, though, so mm. you probably have to go to some You can get the complete series on uh, DVD from Amazon for $52 right now. The whole series for $50. Uh, the whole just, series. Just, just do that. Just geez. fucking do it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. S- seriously, it is a terrific yeah. show. Anyway. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Uh, we are out of P.O. Box letters, but we do have some time for uh, uh, a few emails yeah. as well. So what do you got for us? Uh, well, we uh, we recently uh, did a very long podcast on the Sight and Sound poll. That's right. And we asked people to send us their sight and sound list. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a couple in this letter. Cool. Um, uh, once again, the sight and sound poll is the uh, once a decade poll of film critics and filmmakers from all over the world. Everyone is invited to offer their list of the 10 greatest movies of all time, whatever that criteria means to the individual. And the all of their picks are then tabulated and whichever films show up the most get put in the top 100. There they are. But uh, the cool thing is seeing everyone's individual list. I think that's even better than the yeah, actual list yeah. itself. So, uh, so we here, wanted to hear what your lists were. Here's a letter from OK. Hello, OK. Hi, OK. Uh, dear Bibbs and Whitney Seibold, uh, I hope this email finds you, unless you're hiding on purpose. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want to disrespect you like that. For, uh, you always keep me excited about cinema and sharing your interesting interesting points of view. I mean, it's 100% thanks to you. I got so excited about the new Sight and Sound Top 100 and ended up sharing it everywhere I discuss films. Yay! From, yeah, it was just released by Sight and Sound on the first of, or first or second of December is just yeah, just pretty, recently pretty much beginning um uh, da, da, da. from the list i had only seen 37 so a lot of cool stuff for me to discover out there it was awesome to see jean dealman topping the list what an interesting film that is indeed uh in your equally interesting podcast about what you would have chosen as your top tens you encourage listeners to write their own top tens so i decided to give it a shot now, i haven't seen as many films as you two and i have a ton of holes in my film education but i think we can live with that uh, some rules I'm giving myself are list needs to have at least one animated film, one mm-hmm. silent film, okay. one documentary film, aim for international diversity, but don't force it to avoid excitement of having just seen something. I need to have seen films on my list at least twice or the first viewing needs to have left such a strong impact that I think about the film constantly. That's fair like, enough. Yeah. Fair interesting enough. criterion. Uh, don't make all 10 Marvel films, even though I'm a big mainstream nerd and it would be fun to annoy folks. <laughs> Yeah, number ten, Iron Man three. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the list in alphabetical order. Thirteenth uh, by Ava DuVernay, 2016. Great pick. Uh, I saw this once. Uh, this only once back around the time it was released, but it stuck with me for years now. Excellent look into the ridiculousness of the U.S. prison industrial system that reigns to uh, to perpetuate slavery. Yep. Uh, Fruitvale, Fruitvale Station. Oh, Brian Cougar, 2013. Cougar has become one of my favorite directors with already his first film <coughs> having profound impact on me. It's a really powerful portrait of, uh, of a human that Oscar Grant was. I'm... I often called it the saddest film I have ever seen. Not sure if that's still true, but the realness of it has lingered with me to this day. It's a fantastic film. Ikiru. 1952. I mostly knew about Kurosawa as the samurai guy before another podcast introduced me to Ikiru. Uh, 
While it first felt slow to me, I soon noticed how my mind kept going back to it. After rewatching it a couple of years ago, it became one of my favorite films. Sad and ruthless portrayal of bureaucracy with a huge heart in the middle of it, reminding me that it's never too late to truly live and leave an impact on the people around us. I've become a huge Kurosawa fan since. I awesome. love Kurosawa. Yeah. Um, Inglorious Bastards, 2009. <laughs> Spelled a little weird. Yeah. Uh, by Quentin Tarantino. Trailers looked fun, so 16-year-old me went to the cinema to kill a few hours. I've never seen a movie like this. The dialogue just flows, intense excitement, and glorious violence made quite an impact on teen me. And now, 13 years later, it's still fun to see Hitler die. <laughs> also, Christoph Waltz uh, is one of the juiciest villain roles I've seen. Uh, no comment? What can you say about Inglourious? Uh, Inglourious Bastards rules. I think it's one right. of the Tarantino's best <clears throat> films by far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jojo Rabbit, 2019. Uh, I've always loved a combination of seemingly contradictory feelings and tones in art. Uh, his, I'm guessing the director's ability to jump from uh, dramatic to funny, has made Taika Waititi another favorite director of mine, and then Jojo Rabbit came right when I needed it. It made me cry and laugh, and the poem at the end actually helped me cope with my anxiety. Wow. Feel it all, for no feeling is final. Uh, Modern Times, 1936. Ah. I guess it's a part talky, but it feels like, but that feels like a term some asshat added to Wikipedia to fuck with me. <laughs> part talky, uh, but uh, but of the few silent films I've seen, Modern Times left quite an impression. The cruelty of the capitalist system seemed so accurate to this day; uh, it has made my blood boil. How the hell are we still still dealing with this? But then the movie is also funny and has a sweet love story in it too. Uh, the Raid Two by Gareth Edwards, okay. <laughs> Gareth Evans. Uh, I've always loved action movies, and I feel like the Raid films are some of the best in the game. The first one made a huge impact on how fighting is uh, is now filmed, but the second one takes it even further. The way it introduces new villains is almost video game-like, but as a positive. Uh, it's intense fight choreography, brutality, and use of weapons like a baseball bat and hammers leaves me exhausted like I was part of the fights myself. That, that's my complaint about the Raid, too. You're kind of exhausted. Is that it's, it's like... Two and a half hours long, and it's just all action. It's like, stop. I, I feel uh, I feel that way about both Raid movies. Mm. I admire them both. Certainly, the action is incredible in them both, but I find them legitimately mm. tiring. Like, I just like I'm I'm good. Mm. Can we? Oh, can, hello. Can, can we have a quiet moment where they just like have a di- go to a can diner and just have a meal or something? Converse. <laughs> yeah, but I, I understand mm. what people love it. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, I guess I have to have a comic book film on here, too. I guess if I have to have one, it might as well be... This one might as well be the perfect choice. It takes full advantage of the of the potentiality provided by the source material using original animation style to make the most comic booky comic book movie ever comic booked <laughs> an audiovisual marvel pun most definitely intended with amazing characters and a spectacular style star wars 1977 while some might find my choices ridiculous i feel like the impact of lucas original space opera doesn't need to be explained it literally changed the world and it did by being an awesome piece of fantasy with iconic characters in a world that i love to dive into i was wondering if i should have gone with the last jedi my personal favorite in the series but felt like the original deserves to have its roses first for stealing it all and tokyo story 1953 a movie that stops the viewer as still as the shots ozu takes i've lately noticed more and more that i've started to uh, gravitate towards calmly paced dramas where it might where it might seem like nothing happens but in truth everything happens Mm -hmm. tokyo story is such an interesting portrayal of time and life moving on with a huge emotional core that creeps up on viewers and hypnotize uh, and hypnotizes them with imagery. Why am I writing this letter and not watching the movie right now? <laughs> 
So half of my list were from the 2010s, but I think we can all live with that. Uh, I, I looked over my list. I think I chose like five films from the 1970s. So yeah, I just uh, got to cover hover around that. Yeah. Uh, it's the period I've seen the most movies from, having uh, properly started film watching as a hobby at the beginning of the decade. It also was super hard to cut it down to ten. <laughs> yeah. Don't we know it? Yeah. And I kind of failed at my goal of trying to make the list more international, having seven American films, two Japanese, and one Indonesian, and none by female direction directors. Fucking yikes. Um, had to do lots of cuts and decisions. I aimed also for the list that was more personal to me rather than something mm-hmm. the sight and sound folks, you or random dudes on the street, would have picked, even if there is some overlap. Anyway, I tried to keep it short, but I find it hard to articulate my points that way. I hope you understand at least somewhat of how I feel, and I felt uh, thoughty about these films. With love and respect, okay. I am reminded of, I think it was George Bernard Shaw, uh-huh. who wrote a very long uh, piece of correspondence once, and... Uh, said, uh, I apologize for the length of my letter. I did not have time to write a short one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which is very, very true. Um, I, that's I, a fun list you wrote there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I find it fascinating uh, how people are taking their approaches. Yeah. A lot of people are choosing like their favorite movies, and you can tell like s- things that they might have seen kind of recently versus mm-hmm. things that they've sort of lived with for a long time. Uh, and they're all legit. That's totally. The, that's the fine thing. You know, if... if Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is one of the best movies of all time. Damn it, it is. Uh, you know that's what? That's, that's a great fucking movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't... I've seen most of the movies on your list. Mm-hmm. Um, I admire, I think, all the ones that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them wouldn't make my list. But you know what? That's the fun of this, mm-hmm. isn't it? And yeah. I think those are really, really... That's an interesting collection because it's like newer mainstream stuff for the most part like Fruitville Station and 13th not so much but there's a lot of newer mainstream stuff and like a lot of older stuff mm. and I think that's really really cool that you can because I think some people forget that you can be multifaceted in the kind of art that you enjoy a lot of people just like I like superhero movies great do you also like Tokyo Story? You, you because can. you can do both. Like it's pop, it's not snobbery. It's not like it has to be one or the other. Hmm. These things can complement each other. This is no. part of your this is part of your psyche too. I'm the same way. I like a lot of mainstream crap. Sometimes <laughs> it's great. Sometimes it's crap, yeah. and I like it. I also like really artsy fartsy stuff, and it's totally fine to love both. And they <laughs> they fit different parts of your life and personality. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, here's a letter from Lexa. Ooh. And it's also a sight and sound list. Hi, um, you guys asked for what we would have, what we would have submitted to the sight and sound poll. Here's mine. Yes. Number ten, the Warriors. Nice. Walter Hill. Uh, this film is the apotheosis of its form and utterly iconic. Uh, it's probably the one I've seen uh, the least to say. Uh, the one I have the least to say about because the film feels so self-evident. <laughs> of course, the Warriors. Yeah, the Warriors one of the best <clears throat> action movies ever made. Uh, number nine, Godzilla, 1954. Nice. Uh, this film was... Uh, good choice. Great uh, choice. This film is such a striking critic of the methods used in World War II by the Americans, the progenitor of an entire genre, and, and such a beautiful spectacle, and I think it deserves recognition. That original Godzilla film is really downbeat. It's it's, it's not fun. It's not, like, you, when you think of all the movies that came after it, all yeah, like the fun the one, the ones monster beat 60s and 70s, yeah. It's weird that it was came from such a sober... Actual horror movie yeah. that was truly allegorical about really terrible experiences. Uh, I think that is one of the best horror movies ever made. Certainly one of the most significant. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought about this a little bit. Like, what if we did like a horror movie version of the Sight and Sound Poll? Because very few horror movies made the list. And you could call it, like the Fright and Sound Poll. And like, what would be on my list? And I would totally put the original Gojira on there, yeah, like the, in a heartbeat. That the, would definitely make my top the, ten. The Fright 
Welcome to the frightened pound, heart pounding pole, because you're afraid. I get it. It's frightened sound. Please please hire me. I haven't had work for a long time. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Number eight, Nosferatu, 1922. Uh, I happen to agree with Bibbs on this one. This is one of the best horror movies, silent movies, and the origin of much vampire mythology. This film should be absolutely recognized for its impact and the fact it holds up after a hundred years. Uh, number seven, Sisterhood of Night, 2014. Oh, I don't know this one. Uh, yeah, I don't know this film. Uh, this film so powerfully portrays the horrors of American high school mm. while also landing on a message about solidarity between women and how that is seen as a threat. Interesting. The film is severely underknown, and I want more people to see it. Oh, thank you for letting me know about it. Sisterhood of Night. I, I, yeah, I don't know that film. Yeah. Number six, Speed Racer, ah. <laughs> 2008. Uh, this film gets in on editing alone. <laughs> While the story of sincer- uh, sincerity and driving in the face of capitalism is something I love, uh, the way this film is edited is one of the most magical things I have ever seen. One of my favorite quotes. It's mm. the only thing I know how to do, and i got to do something. <laughs> when people ask me, why are you a film critic? It's the only thing I know how to do, and i got to do something. Uh, I, I, I always forget who wrote the, the review, but I wrote, read this really great review of Speed yeah. Racer back in the day that was describing just the colors yeah. that were used in the movie and the the phrase they used is ultra turquoise is the new black and uh, <laughs> and I love that nice. uh, uh, number five, Casablanca, 1942. Mm-hmm. This is a classic for a reason. Uh, while I have quibbles, it's probably the closest to a perfect movie on this list. Uh, number four, Arrival, 2016. Oh, great pick. Uh, the way this film explores trauma, coping, and fate all intertwined with something that I find gripping while continuing to find uh, the visuals in the film stunning. I love Arrival. I think it's a really great movie. I know. Uh, number three, The Battle of Algiers, 1966. Uh, to me, this is the best war film ever, as it plainly states that sometimes systems of oppression need to be fought, especially by the oppressed. It is something beautiful and striking and a film I will never forget. Uh, number two, Ghost in the Shell, 1995. Nice pick. Um, Good one. How neither Ghost in the Shell or Akira made it onto the list proper is a travesty for how foundational they are to animate as a, as a genre. I personally prefer Ghost in the Shell for its conversations about self, technology, and what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number one, you'll never guess. What? Hannah by Joe Wright. I would not have guessed that. Yeah. Yeah. This is my favorite film. Yeah. Not only is it a great action film, it's one of the few films that exists in that discovery stage of queerness that is the only film I can think of that exists there without being completely about that experience. Sincerely, Lexa. Uh, for the record, I looked it up. Uh, mm. Ultra Turquoise is the New Black came from the Houston Press Review of Speed Racer written by Jay Hoberman. Oh, it was Jay Hoberman. Okay. Yeah. So, now you know. I've, I've met Jay Hoberman. I read, read books by Jay Hoberman. Well, there you go. Uh, thank you, Jay Hoberman, for Ultra Turquoise's New Black. And thank you, Lexa, for a really great list. That's a cool mm. one. That's a really, really yeah. uh, neat. And, I, and there's a movie I've literally never heard of on there. So I'll definitely have to check that out. Thank yeah, you. That, that's a good uh, good group of films. Yeah, I think we're time for one more. Okay, here's a letter from AJ then. Okay. Uh, and, and we have many other lists, and we'll get we to do. those. We do. We'll get in, to them. In, in again, course, we're, we're, in, but, uh, we're in this weird production zone here where yeah. I'm trying not to overdo it. So if we cut this off a little early, I actually don't even know what our time is. So I hope it's, yeah, I hope yeah, it's not yeah, 20 you, minutes. You, you usually look at the time code. Yeah, I don't yeah, have that in front of me as much as usual. Um, so, yeah. anyway, here's a letter from AJ. Hello, AJ. Greetings, gentle beings we are those things mm-hmm. uh you mentioned a couple episodes ago that we would like to see some listener sight and sound lists mm-hmm. uh now that the list is out i worry this is no longer relevant oh it's always oh relevant. it's always relevant yeah. yeah please 
but as you well know, it takes some time to make up one's mind of, on something of such hypothetical significance. Uh, nevertheless, here's my final list, and I would love to hear your thoughts on my mm. thoughts. Okay. Uh, alphabetically. And yeah, not everybody's ranking them. No, you don't have to. Really, yeah. That was not a requirement, it turns out. We ranked ours, but... Because we thought it was a requirement, yeah, but so it's not, yeah. So in alphabetical order, uh, starting with numbers, 2001 A Space Odyssey. There you go. I can't argue with that It's a great movie. Uh, Obvious pick, but no less essential. Little can be said about this masterpiece that hasn't already been said. Simply captivating and visually unmatched. Uh, Airplane! Yes! Who says these lists have to be so serious? The three directors of the funniest movie of all time turned immature gags into high art. I don't think I've ever seen a sight and sound pole with Airplane on it. That's a great pick. And why not? I don't know. It makes sense. It's one of those things where I'm like... Yeah, it should be on there, shouldn't it? Why well, not? Well, same yeah. with, like, there, there are, like, other unassailable comedy classics. There's uh, sure. Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, uh-huh. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Like, these are funny movies oh, yeah. that are widely known. It's, it's almost yeah. a cliche to... They're, they're such cliche. They're so good. Yeah. That it's just sort of assumed that they're on the list. I feel like that's the way Star yeah. Wars is as well. Everyone's like, we know it's influential. <laughs> what do you need, a fucking right. trophy, too? Like, come on. Uh, being John Malkovich... Aside from the significance of our feature introduction and the original mind of Charlie Kaufman, the film's depiction of the trans experience was important mm. and eye-opening to this sheltered cishet viewer. That went way over my head when I was a kid. And the, the, the trans old, stuff. Yeah, yeah, now I get like, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, it, it was, yeah oh, like that's <laughs> it's about a woman occupying a man's body. I did not, you know, I did not fully appreciate that when I was younger. Mm. Of course, now of course it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yes, yes. It's like, I don't want to have an affair with you, but when you're a man, and then they yeah. have, yeah. There's all the, all no, the it's all in there. It's great. It's, it's not even subtext. It's just the. Text. It's just when I was in high school, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking on that level yet. I wasn't mm. ready for it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, do the right thing. Yep, of course, do the right thing. I watched this movie for the first time without knowing the events of the film. Shortly after the Ferguson riots, Ooh. it shook me all the way to my core and remains uh, with me to this passing day. More and more, sadly, more relevant. Yeah. Do the right thing is. I mean, it was celebrated when it came out. It was oh, a it was big huge. deal. Yeah. And it, and it hasn't uh, dipped in estimation It, ha- it hasn't lost its power or, sadly, its relevance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just sort of stayed up there. Yeah. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. My favorite movie of all time. Yay. Not just because of its themes of community and the sanctity of each and individual soul, but mostly because of the memories of watching this with my family every single Christmas Eve growing up yeah. without fail. My warmest memories of childhood usually involve this movie in one way or another. That's nice. Uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Nice. Perfect children's movie. Hardly any conflict to speak of. Just magical realism in its purest form. I'm sad I didn't get to grow up with this myself. I can't wait to give that experience to my children someday. That's nice. (laughs) Okay. Okay. National Treasure. (laughs) (laughs) We're not laughing at you. No, we're not expecting. I am Uh, laughing at the audacity. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Kudos. (laughs) For Absolute treasure. kudos. Bless you. You know what? I, I'm, I'm sure this might get mentioned. Mm. Uh, just the line, we're going to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> yes, that's one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> I totally get it. I totally get and, it. And why are they going to steal it? There's a treasure map written on the back. I totally get it. But, uh, real, but, but the rundown is uh, every esteemed top 10 worth its salt needs at least one wild card pick. Yeah. Looking at you, Kaher du Cinema. Uh, <laughs> much like It's a Wonderful Life, this is on the list because of my family memories associated with it. It was the movie we could always turn to if my family couldn't decide and we never could decide what to watch. It, it was was and remains an old reliable. Nice. <laughs> National treasure. Great pick. Best I movie love, of all time. I love it. Uh, 
Seven Samurai. Yeah. Uh, back to the obvious ones. If you had, <laughs> if you had told sixteen-year-old me the three and a half-hour Japanese movie was about to change my life and become maybe the best movie I've ever seen, I probably wouldn't have watched it. What 16-year-old actually listens to good advice? But thankfully, I did watch it, and then it did change my life and the way I saw international cinema. Ooh, here's a good one. Stop making sense. Ooh, great pick. I love yeah, that one. Uh, I don't even like the talking heads that much. What? <laughs> what? Why not? Talking heads are great. Uh, but it's the power of the revolutionary concert film. For its entire runtime, I was transfixed, unable to look away from what was unfolding before me. Magical. I think, uh, just to pause for a second, I think concert films... Mm don't tend to get a lot of like critical attention no a lot, uh, a lot of performance films don't really like yeah. any sort of like, you'll, you, like I, I think it's unlikely as rousing as that movie version of hamilton was i don't think it's ever going to make like a best ever made list mm. arguably maybe it should it's an amazing performance that they captured who cares uh, a lot of people say well you're it's like you're just sort of pointing a camera at a concert and just go to the concert well, what i can't what if i can't go to the concert yeah also editing is everything true you could have made a 90 minute film of woodstock but you didn't you made yeah. a five-hour film about woods or i guess the longer cut is four hours i don't know what. so there's a long a very long cut of woodstock that you know gets all of the music uh i you, you can definitely mm. shoot a great performance badly i think that's yeah, something absolutely. people don't appreciate and sometimes you you shoot it so flatly that it makes the performance less interesting yeah uh spike lee uh also did a talking heads movie um it's okay yeah <laughs> like he he didn't bring a lot of uh verve or style to it he just sort of filmed it and, you know did it did the show justice yeah because it was on broadway but it doesn't uh, uh it, it 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 doesn't uh grab you yeah the way it's not making sense does, yeah. uh my first exposure to neil young mm. was a film and this is how unhip i am because i wasn't really like listening to neil young records yeah i knew who he was but i didn't listen to the yeah music. you weren't you yeah. so i didn't really kind of brush up against him in any kind of serious way until the early 2000s mm. when he made a film called greendale i was about to ask I, if it was Greendale, which i fucking hated <laughs> Like, I, I thought it's like, this, this is like really obvious sing-songy, rhymey stuff. And it didn't help that I was working at the theater where I was playing. Uh-huh. So I heard the soundtrack to Greendale four times a day for like two weeks. Well, that would do it's it. It's like, okay, yeah, fuck you, Neil Young. I don't want to hear anything from you. Mm. Then I saw Rust Never Sleeps mm. many years later. And it's like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. There's like energy and poetry and beauty to what Neil Young is doing. Yeah, you just got a bad re- intro. Yeah. Really good performer. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Sea Rust Never Sleeps. That's great. Uh, I feel like we need to start thinking about those a little bit more seriously when I think we think about right. great, great cinema. And uh, last on the list here is Whiplash. Oh, um, cool film. Lastly, this is the movie that got it got me into movies. I had barely a passing interest in the medium before Whiplash, and after, they became my passion. To the point where I now have a degree in filmmaking, and I'm pursuing wow. my master's in film studies so I can teach and share my passion with others like me. Whiplash started me on a cinematic journey, which I hope and pray will never end. Thank you both for putting up with my ramblings and hyperboles. You two have been a massive part of my aforementioned movie journey over the last five years or so. Perhaps someday I can repay the favor... Oh, my phone turned off. And have you guest lecture in one of my classes. Oh, golly. I'm, oh, not, I'm not qualified for that. I'd be um, honored. I'd do it anyway. I know I'm not qualified. No. I'd do it anyway. <laughs> who, who am I? I'm some wonk on the yeah. internet. Um, I love you both for who you are. Keep up the good work, guiding others along your own journeys. AJ. Well, thank, thank you, you, AJ. AJ. That's a lovely letter. From, from an actual... Yeah. Uh, Film professor, yeah, Whiplash is film a, professor in the making. Whiplash is, is, a, is a fun pick for me because a, I love that movie, uh, and b, I'm actually like I've been quoted in a few trailers here and there. That's the only movie where I'm quoted twice. Oh no, kidding! They quoted me like twice, quote different points on the trailer. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I thought that was kind of fun, but um, yeah, Whiplash rules. Uh, that's a great pick. That's a great list. 
Great lists to everybody. Yeah, we, we and we have yeah. like a dozen more, so we're we'll gonna, get to those. The yeah. next episode of We've Got Mail, we're going to do a lot more of those. I'll have my laptop back by then, I think. So we'll have a little Fingers bit more crossed, freedom. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, knock on wood. Uh, but, uh, and then again, hopefully this comes out and this doesn't sound too bad and we'll be able to release this and it'll be nice. Uh, but thank you everybody for writing in. If you want to write into a future episode of We've Got Mail, our address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send, us a, send us that letter uh, uh, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and uh, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. If you want to listen to this show and all other shows without ads, uh, you can uh, sign up at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Even $1 a month gets you all the shows ad-free. It also gets you our Step Up podcast, Step Me Up, Step Me Down. We just did a really deep dive into Step Up Revolution, which is seriously underrated. Oh my God, we have a long time. Our, our conversation about that is almost as long as the movie. Like we just as, couldn't as, shut as up it about should, it. As it should, we just be, couldn't yeah. shut up about Step Up Revolution. We have Oscar podcasts, Star Trek podcasts, Discord hangouts, trivia nights, commentary tracks, the works. That's Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Thank you, everybody who wrote in. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you again in the future. And that's it. Sincerely yours, Bibs and Whitney. <laughs>